Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Yesterday we started on a two-part series on Mephibosheth. If you weren't here, we're going to fill in the blanks today. You're going to find out how that this man, years ago, sets down a pattern for your life today. Get ready to be blessed by the Word of God. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandy. Great to have you here today. This is day number two as I'm talking about the covenant that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm talking uh, from the series that I've got that we're offering on here on the subject of covenant. And at halftime, they'll come and tell you how that you can get a copy of that for yourself. And we're looking at the covenant that David had with Jonathan. And today we're gonna to take a look at the heirs to those covenants because at the time that David cut a covenant with Jonathan, it included all that were in the loins of each one of them. They got to share in the covenant that he and uh, that that David and Jonathan drew up. So here's the point of it. When David and Jonathan drew up a covenant with each other, David had been taken out of the you know fields where he was watching over the sheep, brought in. He had already slain Goliath. He was now in the military and he was killing uh, the enemy. And right at this point, right at this point, that's when King Saul took David and would not let him go back home. Wanted to keep him there because David was becoming a hero. And he liked the fact that he was becoming a hero until David started outdoing him. David started killing more people. David started coming home with greater reports. And the women were singing in the streets that Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. And listen, at that point, Saul got so jealous he was trying to kill David. But also at that point, what happened was, is that Jonathan, which was the king's son, so basically, fell in love as a friend with David. They became the ultimate friends. Listen, people take this story and try to say they were homosexuals. They were not homosexuals. There was just such an intense friendship between them that they drew up a covenant with each other. And probably, as I said yesterday, is that Jonathan might've had a a bunch of people that called him friend, but everybody wanted something. He was the king's son. They were looking for ways to get to the king or get something out of the kingdom. And David had no agenda. David came in, just loved him, and they just talked... all of a sudden, I mean, Jonathan found a real guy and this real guy didn't give a rip about all the, the kingdom and all the things that were owned, wasn't trying to get and work through Jonathan to get to his father, Saul. And they fell in love basically with each other as intense friends. And they cut a covenant between each other. And in the cutting of the covenant, they sliced across the palms of their hands, joined hands together. And when they did that, there was the mingling of blood. And that mingling of blood literally was the showing of a covenant. The mingling of blood was the mingling of lives. The blood represents the life. They uh, were told in the word of God that the life is in the blood. And so they shared their lives together. All their possessions were now one together. They promised protection for each other. And this would go on for out their lifetime. And they would be this, they would defend each other for all their life. Fight for each other all their life. And also this included anyone inside of them. That's the children yet to come. And so this all happened, of course, after a while, King Saul was killed, Jonathan was killed, the brothers were killed, all on Mount Gilboa. David at that time was fighting for his life and literally trying to put an army together. David ended up after a while ruling from uh, the city of Hebron for seven years because the nation didn't trust him. The leadership of the nation of the 12 tribes did not trust David because they had believed Saul for so long that really David was the evil one. And for seven years, he stayed there and did not push himself. He ruled because he was to be the next king that was already prophesied by Samuel the prophet. They put him in there, but nobody trusted him. And after seven years of not pushing himself, of not trying to come and take over, they begin to realize something, we were wrong. 
And Saul was wrong. Saul blamed David for everything. Now we're finding out David is the right choice. David is the one. And they came and apologized and all the tribes bowed down before him and repented that day. And David then moved after seven years of ruling from Hebron, moved to Jerusalem and began to take over and begin to rule from there. And of course, he was the greatest king Israel ever had. Oh, he was filled with mistakes. Oh, he had things wrong in his life. Of course he did. But here's the thing about it. Although David was a man that sinned, he was a man that confessed his sins quickly. He was quick to repent. And he was called later on a man after God's own heart and literally became the model king for all kings after him. Good kings were compared to him. It was said of them that he followed in the footsteps of his father, David. Bad kings did not follow in the footsteps of their father, David. And mediocre kings, it says, they partially followed in the ways of David. Second Samuel chapter nine, here's what happens was after David settles in, gets into the castle, begins to rule and reign over the nation. It came to him one day, probably maybe one day was brushing his teeth or shaving and looked down and he saw that scar across there. And he thought, oh man, I remember when we cut this scar. I remember when we set this together. And you know what? I don't know if there's anybody left. And so he began to investigate, is there anybody left? And in 2 Samuel chapter nine, we're gonna read verses one through 13. Here it says, David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul? So I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Ziba turned out to be an evil man later on looking for position, but right now he's looking for, I mean, he's trying to help as much as possible win points for himself. There was a servant, verse two, of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness to God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you would look upon such a dead dog as I am? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul, and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. You shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat, but Mephibosheth, your master's son, will eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my Lord, the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of my king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem and ate continually at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. Wow, let me give you the story about what happened to him. David sought for an heir, just like God sought for us. And he became blessed for Jonathan's sake. Let me go into the thing a little bit about him. From the time that the riots began at the time of the killing of King Saul, Jonathan, the brothers again of the family were all killed, nailed to a wall 
to the Philistines' wall outside to show they had been killed. And one night, late in the night, a bunch of Jews came in, scaled the wall, cut their bodies down, brought them back in, and they uh, burned them. Uh, and so uh, cremated them. And so when they did that again, now what's happened is there's a riots going on and there's pandemonium going on in Jerusalem because there was no king. And the king had been killed. And listen, the ones that take over the throne had been killed. They didn't know what to do because the people didn't know about this covenant that had been cut between David and Jonathan. Now, Jonathan is gone and David is now coming to the point where he likes, what am I supposed to do? Here's what happened. There was one son, named Mephibosheth, and there was a woman that watched over him. And this woman that watched over him, whenever there was riots going on the streets and people were running, she grabbed this little boy, probably about two or three years old, grabbed him by the hand and started running out the door. And when she ran out the door, she dropped him. And he landed on his feet, broke his ankles, and he was lame in his feet from that time on. She carried him. He then lived in a house by himself, and others might have come and helped to take care of him. But he did this all the time. And for all those years, as he looked at his feet and looked at all these things, he must have blamed David. This is David's fault. If David hadn't come and taken over and, and he believed everything his grandfather had told him and all the stuff, the reports that came down for all these years that had come down from Saul and through all those years when the nation mistrusted David and even for the seven years that when David ruled from Hebron, the nation still mistrusted him. This is exactly what was going on in Mephibosheth's life. He despised David. Everything about David he thought about was terrible. And he thought about how, you know, what would I ever do? And what, listen, and there's one day when suddenly there was a knock at the door. David was now ruling in Jerusalem, a knock at the door. And whenever he managed to get to the door and open up the door, here came soldiers in. The first thing he probably thought was, this is it. He searched me out. He's now found where I live and oh, I'm gonna get killed. I'm just gonna get killed. I know that's what's gonna happen. And he was drugging before David. And when he got before David, he fell down on his face and thought, well, there's nothing I can do. I guess I can just plead for mercy. And that's when all these things begin to happen. A covenant that he didn't even know about that was made up between his father, Jonathan and David. No one knew about except for Jonathan and David. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20 tells us this, that we have come to Jesus Christ through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Jesus bled on the cross for us and his life was joined with our life. The moment that we reached out and shook hands with him by faith and we became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we joined hands and our lives were mingled together. Everything that heaven has belongs to me. Everything that I have belongs to heaven, which ain't much. I, like David, have the most to gain out of this relationship, out of this covenant, because the king's son now offers me everything. He offers me the treasures of heaven. He offers me protection. He offers to fight for me, all these things that Jesus Christ promises to do. And I had nothing to give. In fact, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Everything in me is foul. Everything in me is a stench. And I had nothing to offer to Jesus Christ. But you know what? He still loved me and gave himself for me. Everything that I have now came from him. I had nothing to give to him except for death. He had life to give to me, covenant to give to me, relationship to give to me, a position with God himself to give to me. I'm seated on the throne with him. I mean, all these things, it just makes my head begin to spin because you know what, after a while we suddenly take all this for granted and we shouldn't take it for granted. I was a nobody till Jesus made a somebody out of me. Hebrews chapter six, Verse 17 and 18 says this, 
Thus, God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability, the unchangeableness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. This is a covenant. This is the Greek word for the word covenant. Confirmed it by a covenant that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope that is set before us. This verse is telling us we came into a covenant by two immutable things, and the two immutable things was our covenant wasn't drawn up with us first. It was drawn up between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and cannot be broken and then presented to me that I have now joined into a covenant that cannot be broken. It cannot. It's as dependable as God himself, as stable as God himself and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as eternal as those two are, they offer me an eternal covenant with them. And Bob, who had nothing, is now blessed by heaven itself. I'll see you right after the break. For centuries, in nearly every culture that has ever existed in the earth, the concept of the blood covenant has been universally understood and accepted as a contract which is complete and ever-binding. With this in-depth series titled, A Better Covenant, Pastor Bob Yandian examines, contrasts, and compares the blood covenant of the Old Testament with the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross and reveals the new and better covenant now available to every born-again believer. Topics include, The Life is in the Blood, A Friend That Sticks Close, Mephibosheth, A Covenant History, Why the Law, The Blessings of Abraham, Covenant Attitudes, and God's Covenant with David. To order a better covenant in nine CD set or as MP3 downloads, visit bobyandian.com. I've been waiting on this book, Theology Simplified. This is a class I teach at Karis Bible College, and it's my favorite class. I think the students' favorite class is there. And I've been waiting to put this into a book. It's eight different theological terms that sound difficult but actually are very simple. I just simply think the Bible sometimes is filled with complicated sounding words, but you break it down, it becomes very simple. This book is called Theology Simplified. Let me tell you what all it covers. It covers predestination. It covers reconciliation and sanctification. It covers glorification, justification. Redemption, propitiation, and election are all covered in this book. And again, big words with simple meanings. I bring it down to you. When I used to pastor at the church, I would even tell, I'd say, housewives, you that are listening out there today in the congregation, this is designed for you too. The Word of God is not difficult. Go to my website, bobbyandian.com. You'll find how you can have a copy for yourself. Blessings upon blessings to you. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on partnership. Let's go back to the verse we ended with. Hebrews chapter six, verses 17 and 18 tells us about our covenant. Now let's compare it back to the covenant that David had with Jonathan. 
In verses 17 and 18 of Hebrews chapter 6, thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability, the unchangeableness of his counsel, confirmed it with a covenant. Immutability means we have entered into a covenant that cannot be changed. Even our mistakes and failures do not change the immutability of the counsel, of the oath, of the covenant that was given to us by Jesus Christ. That by two immutable things, things. I'm not one of those immutable things. This means two unchangeable things. That is not me. The two immutable ones, the unchangeable ones that drew up the covenant is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The treasures they have were offered to me through Jesus Christ. He came and offered me entrance into that. It says that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. Here's the point of what's being said. Just like there was King Saul and there was Jonathan, they got, I mean, literally during that time, Saul amassed a great empire. There was a lot of military might. There was a lot of wealth that went on and it was handed off to his son. His son came to David and offered to him to have a covenant with him. And David, who had nothing, now became a covenant partner and a covenant relationship with Jonathan, which also joined him to King Saul. I don't even know if King Saul ever knew that David and Jonathan drew this covenant up with each other, but the same thing is bound to us right now. And that is one day God drew up a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that covenant was that whoever would believe in Jesus Christ would have eternal life. And on the cross, that covenant was settled. And now the one who offers it to me is the King's son. Jesus Christ himself offers this to me. I come to him with nothing as David came with nothing. I come before Jesus Christ as David came before his covenant brother at that time, Jonathan, and join with him. And all of a sudden, all the wealth, all the power, and all the uh, prestige of the nation now was part of David. And he entered into that. And this verse is telling us it's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on top of that, what's being told us is now that at the time when David and Jonathan cut that covenant with each other, and the blood was mingled between them, their lives were mingled, all their possessions were mingled, and then also the belt that was around the uh, waist of Jonathan represented anything in my loins, anything yet to come is part of this covenant. And now David is searching for someone and finds it in a man named Mephibosheth and brings him in. And now here's what happens because David has been treated so well by, by Jonathan David is now looking for somebody to pass that on to. Ephesians 4.32 says this, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Let's talk about Mephibosheth here. Again, Mephibosheth, we took up some things about him. His name means a shameful thing. Again, uh, you know, at the time, remember whenever I was talking about all the pandemonium that was going on in Jerusalem, the king had been killed, the sons had been killed, no heirs to the throne, there was no leadership, the government just collapsed. And Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son, grabbed him, a very young boy, perhaps four or five, three years old. I don't know exactly the age he was, but she grabbed him and ran out the door because she was fearing for his life and she was his protector. But when she stepped outside the house, she dropped him. He fell on his feet, his ankles and stuff broke and all that. And literally he became crippled from that time on for the rest of his life. His name means a shameful thing. First of all, he's ex-royalty. Oh, he's still part of the royal family, but they don't know about, nobody knows about him. He's out living in a terrible house by himself. He was ex-royalty. He was crippled through a fall. That's exactly how we were crippled, through a fall. And we're told that, that whenever Adam fell, we fell with him. Jesus Christ has come and redeemed us from that fall. 
He thought and spoke badly of David for years. In fact, everything he saw around him was David's fault. He so believed his grandfather and through the years had heard the reports of his grandfather. David was responsible for all of this and he believed him and everything he saw around him, this terrible house he was living in, filth and living in some foreign country. And when he saw all this around him, it was David's fault. Looked at his feet and said, this is David's fault. Looked at the terrible clothes he had, David's fault. Looked at what little food he had to eat. This is David's fault. And he was by himself at this time. Nobody was with him. And he blamed David for everything. He's like, got up every day and cursed the name of David cursed David's kingdom. And here David was flourishing. And he probably thought, now David has fooled everybody, but I know the real story behind it. And then one day again, there was a knock at the door. And when he opened up the door, there was soldiers standing outside and said, here it is. I knew he would find me one day. My head's going to be cut off. I mean, and once David gets rid of me, there's nobody left. Nobody of the family, the royal family left from before him and David will owe nobody anything once I am dead. And they'll probably never tell about me. No one will know about me. David will have me killed and I will be in silence. And as I have been for years, no one knows who I am. No one knows I'm here. And from that time on, no one can ever find out who I was because David will have me killed. And as he went in there and they brought him in and they put him before David, he looked up and saw David and thought, here it is, okay. He fell down before him and simply just said, I'm a dog, go ahead, do what you're gonna do to me. And David said, no, 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 here's what I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna make you part of my family. And listen, everything your grandfather owned, I'm gonna give to you. The land and see all those trees out there that produce all those crops and stuff. I'm gonna have Ziba and his sons and all of their servants run that for you and just give you the money. They will grow the crops, they will sell the crops, they'll do all that, they will run your business and you're gonna get the proceeds from it. Then on top of that, you're gonna become one of my own children. You're gonna sit at the table with me every single day and eat from my table. There's a room prepared for you down there, clothing, everything else you need, the finest beds and everything. You need anything else, you just come and ask me. And all of a sudden he said, why? Why are you doing all of this? He didn't know it. He didn't know it. He didn't know there was a covenant between his father and David. Did not know that. Did not know he was coming into this covenant. And at that point, he is just overwhelmed. What is going on? What is going on? And as he lay there on the floor, I'm just using my spiritual imagination as he laid there on the floor and David reached down his hand to take him. He reached up his hand to take David and when he looked up and saw David's hand, there was a scar across that hand and it suddenly just went all over him. I've seen that scar before. My father had a scar like that. Oh my gosh, this is a covenant. David and my father had a covenant with each other. This has nothing to do with me. I was in the loins of my father back then and I've been included in a covenant that started before I was ever born. Do you understand what this is saying about you? The covenant wasn't drawn up yesterday. It was drawn up 2000 years ago on the cross and you get to reach down and pick up a hand that had a nail scar in it and he's lifting you up and you realize something. You were in Christ before the foundation of the world because he saw you accept him one day and now you're being blessed not for your sake. You're being blessed because of Jesus' sake and because a covenant that was drawn up. His name, Mephibosheth, means a shameful thing. That's exactly what you are. He was former royalty. 
We used to be royalty through Adam, but we came through the fall. We were crippled through a fall, just like Mephibosheth was. He thought and spoke badly of David for years, and all that we could say about God was, it's his problem. He's the terrible one. And we listened to what the world had to say until one day we realized something. No, God's been right the whole time. What was Mephibosheth's inheritance? The covenant was made before he was born. He was wealthy and powerful since birth and didn't even know it. He was poor because of ignorance. His attitude before David was this. He fell on his face. David called him by name. Galatians 4, 9 says we were known by God, known by his name. John 10, 3, he calls his sheep by name. David called out Mephibosheth by name. And David had the scar. Mephibosheth saw the scar. He was not blessed by anything he had done or could ever do. He got the better part of this covenant like David did with Jonathan. And Jonathan and David, when they came together, David had nothing. Mephibosheth Mephibosheth had nothing. And David now, who got everything from Jonathan and Saul, now hands it off and says, you're all part of the covenant. God's covenant with Jesus is for us. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability, the unchangeableness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16 tells us about the covenant Abraham had, which is the forerunner of the covenant we have. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He says, not as to seeds as of many, that's the Jewish nation, but as to your seed, which is Christ. You know why I am blessed? I can't say I'm blessed because I'm part of the Jewish nation because I'm not. But he also promised Abraham another race that would be like the stars of the heavens and said, and you shall all nations be blessed. And I came to Jesus Christ one day and got part and got hold of that covenant that God made with Abraham and the one that God made with Christ himself on the cross. David held out his hand to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth took a choice to join his hand to the hand that made a blood covenant with his father. He'd entered into a covenant that began before he was born at physical birth, brought him to a place of a choice for spiritual birth, and the covenant was permanent, unchangeable. Listen to this. It was drawn up when the blood of Jesus Christ mingled with our blood when we got born again, and you cannot unmingle blood. Next of all, you can't unmingle sperm and an egg. And I was born of a spiritual seed and that was joined together. Mephibosheth was forever grateful and served the king out of love and gratitude for the covenant that was given to him. So divine seed cannot be unmingled. I'm eternally Bob the human, but I'm also eternally Bob the son of God. And just as I am eternally Bob, listen, you can kill this body, but Bob lives on. You think if they kill this body suddenly on the, on the tombstone, it would say nothing? No, my name would be on there because you know what? I still exist. I'll be in heaven at the time. I'm as much one with Jesus Christ as Jesus Christ is one with the Father. And it all came because of the covenant relationship I have with Jesus himself. So just like Mephibosheth was crippled in his feet all his life, here's what happened at the end of that verse of scripture. It says he kept his feet under the table. As long as his feet were under the table, you could not see his crippled feet. I still have crippled feet. What I mean by that is I'm still covered with flesh. This flesh came from, you know, from Adam and carries the curse that's on the ground. And I have that. But as long as I walk in fellowship with God, keep my feet under the table, you never see my crippled feet. You have to separate from fellowship with God to see your weaknesses at that time. Because as long as you're hanging around God, you begin to see the strengths that he has given to you. Oh, the goodness of God. Let me say this just in closing. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, 
understand this. God had a covenant drawn up before the foundation of the world. And you, like Mephibosheth, simply need to hold out your hand and take hold of the nail-scarred hand of Jesus Christ. Accept him as Lord and Savior, and you can enter into a covenant that was drawn up between God the Father, Jesus Christ, two unchangeable things, and you can enter into an unchangeable covenant with God. And you can honestly say, my life is hid with Christ in God. Open up your heart. Receive Jesus Christ. Father, I receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The moment you pray that, you have entered into eternal life for here and also for eternity. And you know what that means? I may not see you here, but I promise I'll see you in eternity. Have a good day. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.